1: Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Who To Podcast. I am your host, Raj Baines. Rory Benson, unfortunately, is on holiday for a week. It's terrible of him, I know, to not want to be in the office to do this podcast. He's in Amsterdam, so I'm sure he's in a fit and mindful state. Uh, but that doesn't matter, we'll... Crack on without him, the show must go on, as they say. Joining me down the line is Greg Johnson, who was on the first ever episode of the podcast, back then working for a different company, but now the editor-in-chief, I think I'm writing to him, of our sister site, London. How are you, Greg? I'm not bad at all, Roger. I'm not bad at all. How are you? Not too bad. It's it's nice now that you're, you're part of the wider Trinity Mirror family. Uh, it feels like we've got a team member on board. I know, I'm part of the network. Matrix. Yeah, was it the podcast that persuaded you to come and work for the company? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you know, Huddersfield podcast, we talk about Huddersfield um, in sort of a more wider, general um, sort of a way with yourself because you're an outsider looking in, so it gives us a, a different perspective on the club than people who spend you know, 24-7 trying to work out what they're doing, what's happening next and everything. So it's, it's quite nice to see how other people are perceiving the ongoings of the club, um, sort of from a, a third-party perspective, if you will. Town so far, nine points out of, I think it's eight games now. Not too bad. Um, not the greatest either, given you know the weekend result against Swansea wasn't what was desired. Uh, how have you perceived their entrance into Premier League life?
0: Uh, pretty good. I mean, I think... Everyone was, um, I say, everyone. I'd say Huddersfield fans, especially, were very happy with the start of the season. Um, and I think a lot of people didn't realise what they were getting in in Huddersfield coming up into the Premier League. We we're, were pleasantly surprised as well with all the usual cliches and a breath of fresh air and all that. Um, and yeah, they they <laughs> they've done a bit of damage to the London teams. Speaking of, I don't know if it was at London and um, Palace got beaten three 0 but it's, it's you know I think to me that loss to West Ham was. Um, West Ham had to win that game because the pressure was all on Southampton Billich. but I guess that was the first kind of coming back down to earth type result because I thought the 0-0 the, the draw against Southampton was impressive in its own right really because uh, as much as Southampton you know, struggled to hit a barn door very good football side they can control games uh, and the fact that Huddersfield kind of went to toe with them a bit um, was good to see and, uh, and you can even see now that uh, they're still getting lots of compliments for their football I think people who actually are actually starting to get a bit sympathetic to Huddersfield just wish they'd score a few more goals
1: yeah, I think that Southampton game is actually quite an interesting one because there were two home games almost back-to-back back with that one and the Leicester game where they really should have won and they could be four points better off than they are at present. Southampton had a couple of chances, but as you as you say, they're very profligate and, and Huddersfield were very similar on that day. It shouldn't have been a nil-nil game. Both teams had opportunities to score, Huddersfield even more. So the Leicester game, they had a perfectly legitimate second goal ruled out as well Uh, so they could have quite happily won that one too so it's strange that we're already sort of looking at oh it could even be better than it is at present but I think there are some creeping concerns coming in now because they haven't won uh, for for a little while there is a, a run of not poor results but results that aren't going you know as Fans would desire, I think, especially with a run of Tottenham, Man United, and Liverpool in sort of four games with Swansea sandwiched in between. People look to that Swansea game as an, an opportunity to take points from a team that may be in and around where Huddersfield will finish. But they've got a hard task on their hands now going into Manchester United at the weekend and then Liverpool the weekend afterwards, wanting some positivity back in the club.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, know, I think that Swansea game. Um, yeah it's it's uh, all, all the other kind of setbacks you can kind of write them off to some extent because you know as much as West Ham have been a bit of a climate club they've still got a lot of good players um, Spurs you weren't going to beat Spurs at their title challenges you know what I mean I think the 4-0 result Kind of going to happen, and again credit to Huddersfield for actually going out there and trying to play football. And some might call it naive, but you know you, you want to leave your mark of the Premier League. You don't want to, you know, if, if, if Huddersfield do get relegated, you want to go, you want to go down swinging. And if you actually attack teams, I think you've got a better chance of staying up anyway. Um, but yeah, Swansea City lost. I think that is the first real disappointment. I'd say looking looking in for the outside because Swansea aren't a good team at I the moment. They're not in great shape either.
1: Um, and I guess you could say they're relegation rivals, so to lose 2 to, to Swansea, that's a, that is a setback, I think. With the sort of adjustment to the Premier League from the Championship, it's something that teams take different approaches to. Some teams completely change their identity and go from free-fo and attack in the Championship to you a know, defensive unit. I think Burnley are a good example of that. They were quite expansive when they came up through Sean Dyche, but immediately shut it down when they came up. It, it didn't work out for them the first time, but you know nobody can agree with their achievements this second time, especially the second season on the trot this year. They've been far better. Huddersfield, again, held them very well away at Turf Moor, which isn't a place that many people will find it easy to go. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but it's, it's true. Uh, Burnley will have identified that game as one where they can pick up three points, and they didn't really threaten Huddersfield in a, in a manner that other teams have. Um, how do you feel that Huddersfield adjusted? Because there is this disparity between them having had, um, in previous games, one of the best defences in the division. I think it was only the Manchester clubs that were, were tighter at the back than they were. But at the front, they've struggled a little bit. I don't think they're... The injury to Steve Munez, you know, within a few games has helped, having to then change tact and, and bed in Laurent de Plattier afterwards, who in all honesty has been excellent in the minutes he's been given, but I don't think that was ever the plan to introduce him in as early on into the season as he has been.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, Mounier has been, been great when he's played as well um, and I, I always think as well defending doesn't just start with the defenders Like right? if you have a if you're a tax function and looking good the teams are going to step off you more and it just helps to kind of manage the pressure especially up against Premier League side. I mean another cliche I think we've done about five already but you've got to score goals to stay up and you, you need to have those kind of players to step up and do it and I mean everyone saw last season the big story for us in the Championship was, was the goal difference uh, they got from, it was negative in him wasn't
1: it it was minus three but they did yeah, sort of take yeah. the last five games of the season off once they'd secured sort of playoff football they'd started yeah, rotating so, I mean, heavily
0: it all, they, they need have their main striker, who people forget, like they beat West Ham to to sign Mourier, he was was wanted by a few clubs, Um, so yeah, I think he he is vital, he is absolutely vital, and I think at the start of the season as well, he was doing plenty of defensive work as well in his own box with clearances and all the rest of it, so yeah, really important player.
1: Have there been any surprises for you where Huddersfield are concerned, any players who have been better than you may have thought in the Premier League, players who have been uh, worse making the transition than you may have thought because there have been one or two who have had questions over how much say Aaron Moyes had so far even though that's not something I particularly agree with, there's been a, a large groundswell of love for Christopher Schindler who's taken his form from last season and then doubled it, he looks like he's been playing in the Premier League for a decade he's absolutely fantastic and then there's one or two sort of in the number 10 area, uh, Van La and Tom Ince and Kachunga that are one of the reasons why Huddersfield aren't scoring as many goals as they should is because they, the the three players that they're playing behind the striker aren't quite up to speed yet, and I don't think that's um, a terrible thing to say. I, you know, I think they'd admit themselves that they're not playing as well as they could be. They're certainly not as influential as they were last year for their respective teams because Tomkins has obviously only just come in this summer. Uh, is there anyone that you've specifically picked out on that front? Uh,
0: said in the first episode of the podcast really um, I think even then we said it's going to be key having Steve Munier the, the, the lead
1: man who can score goals but also bring others into play and then having this, um, having goals from the attacking midfield trio and, and other parts of the team is going
0: to be key and I think you right? it's, 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 maybe it's not time to get too alarmed or worried about that because the season is still young and you hope that as they grow into the, grow into the campaign they'll, they'll have more of an impact later on but I'd say that's, that's the kind of bit that people are still waiting on really a lot of Huddersfield football's been really good. Um, I think it's just like, that cutting edge, really. Um, so, yeah, I think once they're a bit more speed, a bit more settled, um, they kind of got, their, got a grip on the Premier League, you'd hope that they start
1: delivering second half of the season. How do a team go about repairing an attack like that? Because it's not as if Huddersfield are going to go out and, and throw too much more money at it in January because they've already broken their transfer record about five times in the summer and Steve Munio wasn't cheap at a 11.5 million I think it was rising to 12 um, is it just an experience thing is it just getting used to the league because I think some people had thought that maybe that adjustment wouldn't have been as difficult because they did come out day one and put three past Crystal Palace so has that result perhaps skewed expectations a little bit?
0: Yeah possibly in Crystal Palace under De I mean look what happened there um, but I mean there's an interesting kind of parallel there between De Boer and Wagner in that I think both managers and I'm not going to talk about it in terms of comparative quality or success or anything like that I'm not saying Wagner's going to get sacked or go on a seven game baron run or anything like that but this, they're both managers that like a system and they need time to get it right um, and we've seen that as well we've watched to see on clock at the other end of the table as well um, so I think it's not so much about buying new players in January it's about just getting this team I know a lot of the members of the team are the same as they were last season but Tom Thomas is new and he's being relied upon to be a, um, you know, a bit of a spark in that midfield so it might just hit in time just to get the chemistry going again get the system as, like, as slick and, and, and well-oiled as it needs to be um, because I, I think a, a team playing a system once you get the momentum going once you get the rhythm going it, it just works better you need those, uh, those relationships that chemistry in between players uh, to, to, you know, to bring the managers plan to life in the way it needs
1: wanted to ask you about specifically and get a little bit nerdy about was tactics um because it's something that's you know clearly identified in the way wagner prepares and and the work he's done previously is that he's his tactical acumen are obviously on point and he's clearly um very well versed there and that's a lot of the work they do on the training field is in terms of how they work within their system and their specific jobs within that framework and and everyone has really praised him in those areas and he's He's been quite influential in in making those changes since his arrival. I think that's fairly evident in the success he's had since he's arrived. However, he's very um, loyal to the four two three one, and that's a formation that formations are a strange thing because they seem to be. Popular. They're almost like uh, bands in the chart. One minute they're the hottest thing in the world, the next minute nobody's buying the records anymore and and you know then they make a comeback or what have you. It's very fickle as far as tactics are concerned, in my opinion at least. 4-2-3-1 to me seems to be a, a formation that was at its peak perhaps five to six seasons ago. And in the past three, four years, we've seen a slow shift via 4-3-3 back towards three at the back. Do you think that because there are so many teams playing in the Premier League, because perhaps 4 2 3 has not been found out, but people know how to play that against that sort of a system now more than they they used to want to at first introduce with the likes of VS Boas and the likes uh, that long ago in the early 2010s, is it perhaps a, a decision to be made in the future about shifting formation? Uh,
0: I'm, not sure. I'm not so sure. I think to some extent formations, a bit overhyped and um, overanalyzed to some extent, because, I mean, you remember a few a couple of years ago now where Roy Hodgson said, oh, I don't have a England for playing four four two Dortmund play four four two and there was a lot of, like, kind of laughter in the press about that, but he was right at the time Dortmund was playing 4-4-2, uh, formations, as, as, you know, he's always remembered they're neutral, uh, formations don't, in, in, within
1: them, like, have any, usually don't have a specific. Um, you know, sense of attacking or negative or anything like that or, yeah. or defensive. Leicester won the, the league playing play 4 4 2.
0: Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's how you play them, it's the players you put in them. That's what matters. I don't think, um, I mean, unless we're going to stop talking about like the pyramid of where it was, what, 2 3 5, that probably is a bit outdated unless you're Guardiola. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't buy this talk of 4 4 2s or 4 2, 3 1s or negative or evil or I any mean, of the rest of it. I don't play 4 2 3 1. Barcelona aren't, um, aren't, aren't past it or out of it they might not be as good as used to be but they're still a top team in Europe uh, Bayern Munich play with four two three one. I don't know I've, I think formations are there to be used as, as however they fit the players that are there so yeah I, I think you'll be fine yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as I was saying before with, with the kind of need to get the team on a certain rhythm and get the chemistry sorted I think filling
1: around formations can go against that I think the best thing Wagner can do um, is Picture just is what be doing yeah because there, there has been some accusations in, in some corners of the fan base and obviously it doesn't reflect the entire supportership. It's just sort of, as I say, one or two here or there that are saying perhaps this is some stubbornness and maybe they're looking across at Liverpool and, and how Klopp has been with his reluctance to change his ideals too much. Obviously, we've spoken in the past, how about that's... You know, more of a false equivalency than people expect it to be, given their relationship between the two. Is there a case that that some managers can become uh, too overly idealistic with with one way of playing and, and aren't sort of uh, pragmatic enough to to change? I think the the most extreme example of that would probably be Arsene Wenger at, at Arsenal, even though he he tried to play three at the back last year and had some success in the FA Cup with it they've had the same old problems again this year? Or I guess your argument would be that it's more to do with the personnel he's got in that system rather than the way they're lining up on the field?
0: Yeah, and I think Wenger's a perfect example of why formations aren't all that. Because it's not so much what shape he was playing with Arsenal, it's just Wenger's reluctance to make in-game changes. So the accusation previously with Wenger is "Oh, you'll never swap swap out a four, two, three, one. one and then he swapped it to, uh, to call it, a 3-4-3 or whatever. And now he refuses to change from the 3-4-3. Basically, Wenger gets his shape but he sticks with it. Um, come hell or high water. Um, whereas, I mean, people used to accuse Pochettino of that with his 4-2-3-1 at Spurs. Um, but he goes back to that. He uses the, the back three. But if you ask Pochettino about that, he, he also said it's not about the formation. It's just about where the players are on the pitch. And if you take a snapshot moment of any part of the match, they could be playing whatever formation you want to write, really. Um, so I think it comes down to, to what the manager is asking the players to do when they have the ball and I mean, we've got to remember most of the time formations are seen as, as defensive shapes like that's what they, they drop back in, into when they don't have the ball um, and especially a team like Huddersfield when, you, when you're asking your defenders and your midfielders to contribute to the different phases of play and move up the field especially guys like Aaron Moy I, You know, I don't, I don't think it's so much about the shape and, and, and Wagner being stubborn. You gotta remember the reason why Huddersfield should have got into the Premier
1: League is because Wagner stuck for his guns, focused on his system and got the team to buy into it. it yeah. Doesn't really make sense to me. Okay, I'm I'm a, I'm a layman I'm talking from from outside of the club and I'm not a fan of the rest of it. it, doesn't make sense to me when if that's what got the team into the Premier League, why you would move away from it now, that seems a bit knee jerk to me. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd agree in that uh in that manner. If we talk about three at the back Specifically because it's something that I think fans are, you know, when you Tottenham come to the John Smiths and put on a display like they do in that formation and you see Chelsea having won the league with it last year, you see teams like Juventus doing so well in Europe with it, people can fall into the, the trick of thinking that grass is greener. And yeah. I think obviously with having seen it firsthand with Spurs, um, with as you said, there being such a, a large parallel between Pochettino and Wagner in terms of what not only how they want their teams to play, but the methods with which they use to get those performances out. It's all about the high press, it's all about being quick in transition, it's all about using width on the, the side and then cutting in and, and using the one forward system to, you know, have one focal point for the attack and then a, a number ten behind. There are there're so many different um sort of parallels there that it's kind of hard to ignore. If, if anything, there's there's more of an overlap with Pochettino and Wagner than there is with Klopp and Wagner, which might surprise a few people. What do you think it is that sort of led this new, in vogue, um, fashionable choice of going back to three at the back? Is it just sort of, you know, people wanting to keep up appearances or what's the, the thinking behind it? And how come so many of the best teams are, are finding success within that?
0: I think it is partly down to, to pressing. If you if you do make space for that extra amount of the back to be a bit free and, and mess with the ball, then if your stoppers are getting closed down by the attackers then you've got someone like David Luis who can kind of drop out of nowhere, get the ball, uh, and restart an attack from the back. Um, it's it's almost like you we used to have them they used to have the, the Macaulay role, but you know what I mean? It's like the kind of guy who would sit there as the water carrier between midfield and defence. It's almost like that role's dropped even deeper now and the kind of traditional sweepers come back into it. kind of press resistant midfielders or at least in theory in midfield so you, you free them up not to sit but to actually take players on by having that extra amount at the back to kind of cover for their runs forward um, which I think is what we saw with Chelsea a lot of last season okay Kante and, and Matic weren't maybe the most like offensive box-to-box players but they could they could drive up and down that midfield with, with kind of impunity when you had that back three sitting there sitting deep waiting to catch whatever came came past them um, and that's totally what our as well and for a time it worked but you know I think the problem with, with um, <laughs> I think the problem with that is that Varsmegen perhaps leaves a little bit too much up to his individual players and, and kind of believes in their ability to improvise a bit too much whereas someone like Wagner I think you can see he's, he, as you say, more like Pochettino more like, maybe even more like Conte in that he, he kind of tries to automate what the team do a little bit so that they've got some structure to fall back on um, which I mean as you can see most of the top European managers whether at the top of the leagues or or lower down the table, so I think I think that is is definitely in vogue in that sense.
1: In that he's trying to play this kind of collective pressing football, which I mean, as you see from Germany to Spain and the rest. It's it's the way the game's going. Yeah, I mean, in sort of being honest about it, maybe that's obviously going to work better in the Championship where there are less able managers than in the Premier League where even if there are clubs with less able managers, they have more able players because they have bigger bank budgets? Is it just a case of you know, Huddersfield finding their natural position within the division because um, they don't have the biggest budget in the world, they're not the biggest club in the division, they did come up unexpectedly and still, even though they've been beaten by a team like Swansea who they may actually be better than in the long run. Is it just a case of perhaps, you know, there being a a more easily defined food chain at this level of football?
0: Yeah, and it's it's individual quality as well. Um, Increasingly now that we seem to go back to a more of a counter-attacking kind of phase of football, um, I, I do think that, players more so than ever. Like his possession, this football hasn't gone away obviously, but it does seem like we've, we've the wheels turned a bit again um, and the focus has gone back onto transitional play and playing on the counter. Um, and if you do have just great players that can, that can devastate teams in one-on-one situations and that, that's going to pay dividends and I think that, that hampers teams like Huddersfield. Um, but then I think Wagner trying to set his team up to, to, beat, to beat the opposition by making the most of those transitions in his own way, but, through the players, know what it to, to work as a unit to do that. Um, but you come up against a team like Spurs, as you've already seen, and I just think the individual quality will tell, um, and it will cause problems. And it's probably going to be the same against Man United as well. Um, although, then again, they're missing they're missing Pogba, they're missing lady who Mourinho might have wanted to use in the same way he, he took on Ajax in the Europa League final last season by kind of evading their press by sending the ball up to a big man. Um, so there might be there might be a sense that they, they've lost one of their key. Uh, weapons to take on a side like Huddersfield at the weekend, but you would imagine the pace and the skill of guys like Martial, Lukaku, they're going to pounce on every single um, mistake Huddersfield make and I, I would say that as we saw against Swansea, as good as Wagner's coaching is, as good as the team are, because they want to play out the back and they maybe don't have the quality players that other teams do, they are prone to making mistakes you know, against a side like United against City, if you make those mistakes, they are
1: definitely going to punish you, which is probably the sixth cliche of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if we um, if we do skip ahead and have a look at that Man United game just a little bit, we will be previewing the game more thoroughly in the the next podcast this week on on Thursday. But you're you've written about Manchester United extensively in your career. It's a, a club you've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about, uh, very well, I might add. Um, if you were part of the coaching staff at Huddersfield, you had David Wagner's here for some reason, some perverse thing had happened in your career where you found yourself coaching a Premier League side what would be your uh, advice for him as, as how best to style for Mourinho and and how best to try and get a result out of that game because at the minute even though they were uh, negative to say the least against Liverpool although it worked so there can't really be too many complaints um, how do you go about stopping a team that has started the season as well as they have and are in the sort of form that they are? I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, know, That's why you're not uh, working for a Premier League club then. Exactly, exactly. But I'd say United this season is a perfect example of what I'm talking
0: about. I don't think Mourinho's definitely got this, this, this amazing system. It's all about just putting individuals in the... In the max, in the positions of uh, maximum opportunity, as some analysts might say, um, where they can just do the most damage using their individual skills. I don't think he's like Klopp. He's not like Pochettino. He's not like Guardiola. Uh, he kind of leaves it up to the players, um, and that mean I think that's why they've been so good against the small teams. I really do because he's just letting these, these, you know, basically these, what would you call them, um, flat track bullies do their flat track bullying
1: really. Um, and I don't think Huddersfield should try and sit back and contain them because I don't think they'd succeed. I
0: think the best thing Huddersfield can do is. Try and, try and call their bluff and get at them um, I think just keep doing it in Spurs as much, as much as you got beat 4-0 you're much more likely to get something by doing that than sitting back and, and getting beat really I think which it might be a controversial thing to say Huddersfield fans might prefer to try and sit back and take a point or something but I don't know um, I think you know, in that first episode I said that you know Huddersfield might be like Rayo Vallecano were a few years ago where they play really aggressive attacking football at least try to every single match on the gamble by the end of the season they've made enough wins out of nowhere that they'll stay up and I kind of hope that's the approach they just keep taking um, like some people said they were naive against Spurs I thought it was admirable and I think if they keep doing that I think they'll, they'll surprise enough teams especially if they keep doing it throughout the season and other teams start to get more cautious I think they might actually they might be onto a winner but I mean, let's, let's be realistic against Man United. i just just really expecting to take anything out of that. They're going to be lucky whether they do or, or whether they don't, really. It's, it's just um, it's going to be a case of damage limitation. But if they can try and do some damage to United, who knows? Who knows, basically. I'm saying if United have a day off where they can't hit a barn door, we'll have to
1: see. Have they got a Champions League game this week as well?
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true, yeah. And as I say, they will do, as Maria said after the Liverpool game, they're lacking Pogba, they're lacking Fellaini, I don't think Carrick's fit. So to be the same midfield. I probably say midfield as well. Huddersfield can be quite strong, although um, Bylands out, isn't he? I think he's he's injured now.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, maybe maybe that won't count for Huddersfield then. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I mean, Aaron Moyes is, is he's the heartbeat, isn't he? So if if he can get a bit of joy getting through that midfield section, because um, I think everyone saw the weekend. Herrera can be a bit of a, a loose cannon. Um, in his current form. So maybe that's something to
1: take advantage of. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I think realistically, it's United to win. Um, and, you know, where's the fun in Huddersfield sitting back and taking that that you take it against United and see what happens. Okay. Um, one question, one player I wanted to ask you a question about specifically, sorry, if I actually speak English for a moment, um, <sighs> is Christopher Schindler uh, because he's a player that, in Huddersfield, Huddersfield fans, myself as well, he's garnered a lot of praise and he's you know, people were obviously huge fans of his last season for the way he handled volunteering to take the penalty that promoted Huddersfield. His form after sort of the first ten games of the championship was for my money the best centre half in that division last season. And he's carried that on this year. I think um who scored one of the statistical websites actually had him as one of their standout centre-halves for perhaps the opening two months of the the season. They had him in their team of the season because his metrics are are better than those players in similar position for other bigger teams, which is impressive to say the least. Um, It may have gone down now that they've had a couple of goals scored past them, but is he getting any noise outside of Huddersfield at all or is he still sort of our little secret for want of a better phrase?
0: I think he probably is, sort just for a little secret, a, bit, a little bit longer, but um, I mean, if you look at all the stats websites, they're absolutely loving him because he's producing the numbers every week, um, which in the modern game is what it's all about. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but, yeah, I mean, yes, really, and you can only play disappointed. I wouldn't say disappointed me, but um, Zanka came in with this, you know, he's got a Champions League reputation, he's, he's won titles um, in Denmark, uh, whereas I think Schindler's just, just kind of bossed it he's been the more, uh, more authoritative, more commanding, more assertive, not, not more assertive in the kind of aggressive sense I think Schindler's more of the kind of ball player, isn't he?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I just think he's, he's the one that's kind of got the kind of air of authority over
1: that back line, yeah. um, whereas Zanker's more of the kind of, he's a guy set out to accept things. Um, and yeah, I think Schindler, in the way that the Huddersfield want to play out from the back on the rest of it, he's, he's absolutely key. Zanker actually came out in the press conference before the Swansea game and said that, you know, he came in um, and wanted to be sort of the number one centre-half, but Schindler's form's been so good that he is playing catch-up with him, and he did admit yeah. that, you know, he is in awe somewhat of just how good his defensive partner has been, and he says that his job now is to try and make sure that he's playing as, uh, at a comparative level as Schindler is, which is quite an honest and refreshing thing for a, a footballer to say, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um Perhaps a morbid question, but one that I think is appropriate given sort of the last uh, result and the fact that you're not a, a Huddersfield writer, you're not biased in, in our favour for any reason. You might be more honest than um, we might be because we have been very positive. And that's not to say it's an affectation whatsoever, I think it's just because um, we do know the club and we, we sort of through as much hope as it is sort of analysis think that maybe the one or two of have, have underappreciated what the club and the manager are able to do where do you see them standing towards the end of the season or do you think it's still too early to call because I think when we spoke at the start you said that there's going to be plenty of teams that take three points for Huddersfield for granted and that's going to bite them in the backside I think we both agreed that they'll probably be safe in the end but with these results in mind, is, is your opinion changed at all? Or do you think that, you know, there are still far more, you know, there are far worse teams left in the division than Huddersfield? I think, I mean, I said at
0: the start of the season, I, I think and hope Huddersfield could stay up. Because um, I, I like what they're doing, I like what they try to do. Um, but it's going to be a big ask, um, especially because a lot of teams I thought would struggle more than they have. Um you know, you've got guys like Stoke are doing a little bit better than I thought they would um, even though they just got beaten 7-2 um, <laughs> Bournemouth are doing worse than I thought they would but I kind of think Bournemouth are, there's just something about that I kind of think they might bounce back second half of the season um, so yeah I don't know, I don't want to be pessimistic on a, on a lovely Huddersfield uh, podcast but um, I, think they, I think definitely the Terriers have got a chance to stay up and I'd like to see them stay up because you know it'll, I almost as I said they're kind of like how Swansea came up and did the kind of second division to first division possession, football thing, I think we're just doing the same, but for this kind of counter-pressing style of play. Um, so yeah, hopefully, um, I think it's too early to say yes or no. I was totally saying yes at the start of the season, because I predicted that they would stay up and they won those games, I was just like, see, I told you! Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's too early to say, unfortunately.
1: When, when do you think's the right time to start having a look at the table? Because uh, I said this before on the podcast, but one thing that's sort of um, been a Sort of a, a rule of thumb in my house that my old man's always said to me is that the table's not worth looking at until after Christmas. Um, is yeah, that something yeah, you I'd you say, go along I'd with? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'd say that's true for
0: definitely for relegation candidates. Um, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. But least side worry about the job. I think after Christmas is, is when it make or break. Because I mean these days because they're out of the top six have, have gone. I think the tower race starts on very first weekend and people are comparing squads from the first game, second game, third game. To came in with Chelsea what like about fit almost 15 years ago now actually not around that you know what I mean um, <laughs>
1: Thank you very much for your time, Greg. Uh, that's all for this episode. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode ahead of that Manchester United clash. We, we should have another guest on in lieu of uh, of Rory Benson, who will still be on holiday by then. He'll be back next week for a, a usual podcast then. So post-Manchester United, we should be back into the usual swing of things. But it's nice having different perspective on things. So again, Greg, thank you very much for that. No problem. Um, We've got an offer on, beer 52. um, Code is Huddersfield on beer52.com. You know the drill by now. You don't have to pay for the crate. You only have to pay £5.95 postage. Greg, I think I'm right in saying that you're not adverse to a beer. I've been known to drink a beer yeah. Would you like to pay uh, just under £6 for a crate? Oh, why not? It's like we've we've rehearsed this. We haven't. It's just our natural... uh, (laughs) affiliation for each other but yeah if you go on B52.com use the code Huddersfield you can get a crate for for essentially just the postage cost uh, which is all fine and dandy Um, and sign off Greg thank you very much I'll speak to you later on hopefully in the season yeah nice one cheers having me on Ben jij
0: prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij Mijn Sim Only. Voor 12,50 per maand, onbeperkte minuten of sms'jes en 3500 MB 4G internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust Weken. Kijk op Ben.nl.